There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. <laughs> That's when the cannibalism started. You know, it only costs a thousand dollars to secure yourself a grave plot. Does it really? Yep. Is that how we're going to start the episode? It's kind of interesting. <laughs> um, excuse me. You're you're a very tall man. Uh oh. Very tall man sitting so close to me here yes. on the subway. This is so nice. Grandpa, what's going it's on here? No, he seemed to be stepping on my foot. Some people would find that to be some sort of inconvenience, some sort of social social accidents on your right. part. But in fact. I have ejaculated. <laughs> oh, no. Right, I didn't mean to make you do that. Oh, you All did, right. though. I'm sorry. This is the last podcast on the left, everyone. I am Ben Kissel, Marcus Parks, right there. How hi, you doing, hi. buddy? I'm doing great. How about you? Very good. Oof. And with us in studio together, but it's been so long. What's that song? It's been so long since we've been together. Back uh, together. We're back together again. My <laughs> humps. Yeah, something like that. Henry Zabrowski. Oof, yeah, it is me. And I'll tell you what, as soon as I start reading this, this super horrible details of the story, Oof. I begin to have one. Uh-oh, I don't <laughs> like it. Okay, so why the German accent, you might be asking. We're going to talk about one of the worst Germans in U.S. history, which puts him as one of the worst human beings. Wait, we're going to talk about one of the worst Germans in German history, which puts him atop the list of maybe one of the worst people in in world history, yeah. Peter Curtin is this man's name. Peter Curtin, a.k.a. the Vampire of Dusseldorf, is among the most sickening, reprehensible, straight-up terrifying monsters that we'll ever cover on this show. Ooh. The very real representation of what an actual vampire would be. Um, Peter Curtin is a man of nightmares. Yep. I think that when we cover him, if I feel like a part of what we're gonna, you're gonna see as we delve into the world of Peter Curtin, it's not a pleasant world. Um, incredible mustache. <laughs> Honestly, really one of the best mustaches I've seen in a long time. H.H. Holmes or Peter Curtin, better stash who you oh, got? Oh, I mean, H.H. Uh, H.H. Holmes. Yeah. H.H. Okay. Holmes has got all a better right. mustache. I'm going to give it to the American. Thank you. <laughs> okay, all right. I think Peter Curtin. Very patriotic. No, Peter Curtin has sort of a diagonal Hitler, mm-hmm. which is, it wasn't a Hitler at the time. No. It was a chaplain at the time, and so you can sort of forgive that. The only thing you can forgive him of <laughs> is wearing the Hitler mustache at the time. Okay, interesting. Well, the term vampire actually seems insufficient to describe Curtin. He is a true blood-sucking creature of chaos and death, killing without reason, pattern, or conscience. Scarier than even the most gruesome piece of folklore. He's living his hashtag worst life. I see. Okay, so when it comes to vampires, we covered Richard Chase, uh-huh. of course, vampire of what was that? Sacramento. Sacramento. And now Curtin. When mm. did vampires become sexy? Because neither, <laughs> of the, both of these guys are horrifying, and there were so many girls growing up in high school. I blame, I blame Brad Pitt for uh-huh. this. Oh yeah. Be well, like vampires are the sexiest, but this is what they look like in real life. And it started, Rice is who to blame. And Rice. It started with Bram Stoker's Dracula. Mm. Because Dracula was a, a count, he was a fashionable man, sure. they, they did, they used that, they made him, he, had, he was old money, he was mysterious, the movie did that, Bela Lugosi is actually the first one we can blame for turning Dracula sexy, because at the time, yeah, I mean now, yeah, yes his cigar laden lips now are not attractive, but back in the day he used to make girls snarch really? all over the place, but um, Richard Chase I think is actually what we... We, they called him the Vampire of Sacramento, and I think it's mostly because of the blood play and his that obsession with blood. But he is closer to a true folklore. P- 
Peter Curtin is closer to a true folklore version of the vampire, which is something that is essentially a monster. And also, we're going to hit again and again at some of my European serial killers, too, mm. that fill out these sort of folklore-type creatures. Because you remember, when, way back in the day, if you get in your way back machine, Uh-oh. you listen to the werewolf episodes that we did. We remember that the werewolf, the idea of that, basically came from a description of old-timey serial killers. And so now it's like, but of, of anybody fits the description right it's peter curtin now i would actually go as far as to say that peter curtin is the cloth from which the more infamous serial killers of the 20th century were cut he's got the brutality of ramirez mm. the deadly charm of ted bundy the sadism of dennis Rader, and the erratic victim selection process that made andre chikatilo so difficult to catch and he also has the jump shot of larry bird <laughs> Whoa. little known fact great at one-on-one basketball because, and you know why he's he remains in white man basketball history accuracy <laughs> that's all he had to have that's back all, in the day that was it um, but he also for me peter curtin's a creature of pure control yeah and i think that we'll get deeper and deeper as we talk about the what seems to be the insynchronicities of his personal life and his uh life as a serial killer mm. i i think it's all about uh total complete control over every aspect of his personality and life hold on a second I, see, this is where every time you always lose me in an episode. There's, you're telling me there's a German who wants complete control. <laughs> complete, like, control. complete control. Well, I don't know why like, the Germans make all the bad things. I like chocolate. <laughs> That's, oh, very, they, they can own chocolate. They deserve cl- complete control of, of chocolate. And I will, as a 90-year-old man, I've told Natalie, if she does not kill me while I'm death, when I'm on my deathbed by smothering me with her vagina, she has <laughs> to drown me in a bucket of Paul Laner. Okay. I love Paul Laner. Oh, it's a great beer. Well, the Germans do get a bad rap because before, like World War One and especially World War Two, uh, Germany was known as it was called the land of thinkers and poets oh. because mm. it produced a lot of wonderful artists, a lot of wonderful writers. You know, it produced Albert Einstein. Like for the long for the longest time, Germany was a very very respected com- uh, country when it came to intellectualism. Honestly, all we needed to do get in a time machine, bring Al Bundy to that era in Germany, clean him up, <laughs> get out of here. You your thinkers and your poets, Al Bundy Al was Bundy? Al Bundy, you, so an you American hero. If you were going to choose one person, it's because it's Al Bundy is a character as portrayed by another <laughs> yes. man. So yes. you're going to take the actor. What's his name? Uh, you're going to take Ed Neal. Ed O'Neill. Ed O'Neill. You're going to take Ed O'Neill, the actor, living comfortably, I imagine, somewhere in the Burbank or sure. beautiful San Fernando <laughs> Valley <laughs> area of Los Angeles in 2018. And then you're going to bring him to pre-World War II Germany. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And clean it up. Get those thinkers out of there. Come on. Well, getting the thinkers out of there, that's how the Nazis came to power. Yeah, I'm going to say this. Okay, well, maybe that did happen then. I will say this, though. They literally get all the thinkers out of there. That's what the whole thing was. Okay, I'm just going to say this, though. If everyone's like, I'm a thinker, just got to ask one question. What you thinking about? (laughs) Like, if it's something that happened in Germany that that ended up happening in Germany, then you got to say you shouldn't think about that. I will say in Germany, it would have been better if we had a lot less doers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, like Andre Chikatilo, Curtin killed women and children, but Curtin was somewhat different in that he killed a few men as well. The only things that mattered to Curtin when he selected victims was that he wouldn't get caught and the victim would have no chance of overpowering him. Hmm. Peter Curtin even shares something with Ed Gein. Just as Gein inspired Psycho, Peter Curtin was one of the main inspirations for the very first true serial killer movie, Fritz Lang's masterpiece, 
M. And if Ooh. you are, let's say you're one of the later generation millennials, it has a character actor in it, which you probably have not even heard of. It's a man named Peter Lorre, mm-hmm. who's got one of the, yes, thank you, one yes. of the best voices in the world, yeah. one of the most mm-hmm. fun, compelling actors in the world. So go back, go into your grandfather's closet and find one of these films and, and, and <laughs> share a moment with an uncle. Share right. a moment with your, with your papu. Well, they would have to. They would have to be an old uncle. Yeah, yeah, it would have to be like a decrepitly old uncle. That movie came out in 1932. Was Peter Laurie ever in a Hollywood Square? Was he ever one of the people in a Hollywood Square? <laughs> Actually, possibly. I know because he was in Casablanca. Yeah. he did a lot of stuff. He did like we knew Peter Laurie because he was in Looney Tunes a lot of times mm-hmm. as a character. Yeah, and he show up like this. And it's like <laughs> it's a fun little voice. He's so fun. He's so good, tiny. And you know he fucked. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> now, while Lang said that M was also inspired by two other German serial killers at the time, the main character. Character Hans Beckert mm-hmm. shares far more with Peter Curtin than any of the others in Germany at the time. And I say any of the others because Germany, before, during, and after World War I, had an explosion of serial killing totally unmatched in Europe, or so it seemed. Is there like a sound for like, I'm the least shocked? <laughs> like, whoa. Well, reserve judgment for a little bit, but first, let's hear about some of these German serial killers. Carl Dinky, aka <laughs> yeah. Papa Dinky, aka Stinky Dinky. I think we know that. <laughs> that's I funny. I hate this. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> he killed and ate at least thirty homeless vagrants between 1903 and 1923. Vagrants denounce denotes homeless. <laughs> right. Jeez. Right. Well, now while very little is known about Papa Dinky's life because he hanged himself two days after being caught, we know the number of victims and the length of his spree for two reasons. One, he kept a ledger that listed each and every murder. Fucking Germans. <laughs> Just imagine your last words being like, come to Papa Dinky. Like, oh, I want to vomit right no, now. But you know, it's like, come to Papa Dinky. <laughs> like, he's like, I see him as a busy, a big Augustus Gloop style, yeah. like, handlebar muscle. It's being like, oh, 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 look at your dirty feet. They are going to make some most delicious sausages. Just Glistening, his, his skin all tight with nitrates. Like, sir, is your tub full of chocolate? Oh. That's not chocolate. You go, I will tell you, you will not know for sure unless you get in. Oh, my little treat, my little chocolate-covered vagrant. That's not chocolate, no, sir. No, 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 that no, is no. not chocolate, sir. Papa Dinky's dookie. Ah, oh, stinky dinky. <laughs> well, the other reason why they knew he had so many victims was because when police searched his house after a homeless man ran out of his door with an axe wound to the head, oh. they found dozens of jars of pickled body parts and piles of bones that could have added up to as many as 42 people. Jeez. You know that if they really, if he really was in character, you'd have a couple, you'd have labeled like Kim Chi. You know what I mean? Like uh, you would do like funny. funny little puns, like Haunted Mansion style puns. Yeah. Wow. It's... Tom Ato Jam. So I don't know. I don't know. No, it's actually, that's pretty, that's pretty clever, actually. Uh, this this is horrific. How come we haven't heard about this guy before? Well, he, because ate, he ate more than Dahmer did. There's not a lot to Poppy Dinky. There's very really? little known about Papa Dinky because he hung himself two days after he was caught. And this okay. is also, this is the early 1900s uh, when a lot of this was happening. So there wasn't a whole lot of records kept. All they knew is that he was born, I think, in Eastern Europe somewhere. He moved... Uh, uh, t- he moved to Germany. Uh, he played organ on the church in 
the church on Sundays. I bet. Uh, I bet he did. And he yeah. keeps bringing in stomachs. I mean, like, oh, funny little jokes. See how I play the organ again for you. No one's laughing. Of course he did. Well, the worst part about Papa Dinky, though, is that he not only ate his victims, mm. but reportedly... He sold the flesh to unsuspecting customers in the local store he ran. Although, there's no proof of that. There seems to be a lot of that in this time period in Germany, as we'll see as we get into the life of Peter Curtin and his childhood friends. Right. Um, People just bought a lot of just, like, bags of meat without asking a lot of questions about where the meat came from. It is interesting, though, because I would like to see the Yelp reviews. I'm sure somebody <laughs> loved it. That's, that's how you know a real Yelp review is because that's what we've been doing recently. Every single time we say Yelp it, we go, oh, oh, <laughs> someone had that had to be somebody's favorite butcher. <laughs> well, there was another guy that actually did pretty much the same shit. His name was Carl Grossman, a.k.a. the Berlin Butcher. He murdered up to 50 people during World War I and sold the meat from his victims at a hot dog stand that he ran next to a Berlin train station. So what you're telling me is it's a great time to be a cow. <laughs> like, if this is like cow history, be like, we were totally safe. No idea what they were eating, but it wasn't us, so we were happy. It was the founders of Chick-fil-A. <laughs> they knew those happy, dominant clou- cows back in the day. Um, my question is, do you, I actually wonder, if, yeah, we were joking that it may be people's favorite butchers, but people have said time and time again that human meat is very delicious in mm. terms of like it's got a lot of fat content sweet. especially if they're big and they're and it's sweet so i actually wonder if that mm. is true i wonder if it gets to a point where if you're buying a certain amount of meat you're eating a hot dog we don't know what the fuck's in a hot dog right now no I don't idea. Know. those assholes and fucking knee meat whatever the fucking else yeah. is around and there are a certain uh, percentage of bug parts are allowed Absolutely. in it and poisons mm-hmm. yep well and germans have a lot of sweetbreads yeah a lot of meat and you know i like all that it probably wouldn't taste that bad I'm literally i'm getting hungrier and hungrier Uh-oh. the more we talk about it my sister is the best gift giver i've ever met of any person it's Jackie Zabrowski. She shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it. But guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right. Give the moms in your life an aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional. And we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, 
you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse pics over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Then there was Johan Mayer, a.k.a. John Mayer. Of course. <laughs> I can't. Did he want to be a comedian? Like, oh, my God. God I hate I it. can't I even. Hate it. Your body is a wonder. What does that even mean? Like, come on. Body is like, Well, because Johan Mayer's left arm was amputated below the elbow, his actual nickname was Stoomph Arm. Sweet. <laughs> I do like that. Old I like arm. See, that is I like just a, so... a name right to, the, right to the point. Right to the point. And it's so German to be like, it's not the one arm man. It's the one stump man. It's like, we, we're going to focus mostly on the stump because that's the abnormality. And that's the thing we're all staring at. We're not even going to notice the arm. No, you go to Germany and a lot of people's nicknames, I imagine, are stuff like ugly face and fat belly. <laughs> Whatever is the worst characteristic, lead with it. Oh, yeah. And... Fucking stump arm. Mm -hmm. He shot and killed five people in 1918, and in one double murder, he cut off the hands and heads of the of his victims and switched them to quote unquote disguise his actions. But they're still decapitated heads and decapitated arms, and the other bodies are over there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they kind of describe his actions more than disguise it. Also, doesn't he know anything? He's got to put a chainsaw on the stump. That's what you do when you got the stump arm. I will tell you, I was not one guilty of these crimes. Blames the stump. Oh. He always oh. wanted knuckles. <laughs> I did it. The <laughs> Oh, he's never talked out loud before. It's always inside my mind telling me to not do it, not do it, not do it. Then, of course, was the one that many of you already know, Fritz Hamann, mm. a.k.a. the Wolfman, who deserves an episode all of his own. He killed at least 24 boys and young men between 1918 and 1924, ripping out the throats of his victims with Ooh. his own teeth and what he called his... Love bite. Oh, God. And that's not even mentioning Adolf Seafelt, a.k.a. Uncle Tic Tac. No, come on now. We can't have a Stinky Dinky and an Uncle Tic Tac in one episode. I will say, Papa Dinky is a funny name. Yeah. Uncle Tic Tac, though, reminds me of the the puppet from Saw. Like, it reminds yeah. me, Uncle Tic Tac is like Baba Duke, where it's yeah. like a funny yeah. name, but it's a fucking very terrifying entity. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, his MO was among the most specific I've ever heard, as he exclusively poisoned little boys 
who were wearing sailor suits. Yeah, you know why? Because they were making fun of the uniform of our boys. <laughs> really? <laughs> They're out there. They are they are appropriating sailor culture. <laughs> right, sure. He killed like 10 of them. Gotta be. I would nothing infuriate. <laughs> what the hell? Can you imagine how much rage I would have created as a little boy if I just walked around in a sailor suit being like, Bet you can't buy me any candy because you're yeah. broke, old man. They'd buy you some candy, I guarantee you that, just to, just to get you to leave them alone. Now, of course, there's the question here. Of, yeah, yeah, I yeah you, you got it. You got to yeah, leave them alone. I was ignored, and it's why I am the way I am. <laughs> okay. Now, of course, there's a question here. Why Germany had so many serial killers in the early 20th century? Mm-hmm. And I'll admit that this was a question that's far too large for us to definitively answer. It requires a lot of sources. Sources. Uh. Well, but the thing is, we actually do have a couple here. Because in helping me with the research for this, Carolina came up with a couple of possibilities. She's okay. become a real Patty Hearst in your home. <laughs> oh she really goodness. is just adopting. She just you gave in so? and she flipped. Yeah, Marcus did it. She flipped because no. she knew she had to get into it. She <laughs> He had to help because if right. not, she was going to go insane or Marcus was going to kill everybody. Fully no. indoctrinated. Interesting. Part of the reason why we worked is because she did this long before we even met. Okay. Aww. Well, she came up with some possibilities. It's possible that Germany had no more serial killers than anyone else. Mm. What's more likely is that the Germans were just better than everyone else at catching them. There were a lot of super cops, it seemed like. Specifically this one dude, Ernst Gnott. Cool. He had a clearance rate of 90%. Now, do we know that he wasn't just arresting anyone? I asked that same question. Okay. Because <laughs> I could have a re- if I'm a cop, I could have a great record if I just like grab you and be like, you're guilty. You did like, it. Okay. Like, what? 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 Yeah. yeah, we saw West Memphis 3. It could yes. happen again and again. Well, there is actually, not just that, but this guy like completely redefined how policing was done okay. in Germany. Like he came up with the partner system. He came up with the rotation system. Uh, and starting in his early 20s, this guy was born to be a cop. Like this guy, he was one of the fathers of modern profiling. He even coined the term serial killer in 1930. He was the first one to use it, although he hmm. called it Zerainmud. Oh, cool. I, yeah. I think he was also the first cop to be solely fueled by horrible coffee and donuts. Yeah, he, um, <laughs> so he that's, made that's it. That's what does it. He, actually, he was grossly overweight. Good for him! And had to stop being a cop because he was too fat. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the best retirement of all. That's the greatest retirement yeah. of all. Retirement by strudel. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's very, very interesting. I, 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 I wonder where the basis for it comes from. I wonder why it's in Germany. Like, why, why do they have the gumption? Efficiency. Uh, I mean, they are a highly efficient and highly intelligent people. Again, what's the sound for least shock? Oh. <laughs> well, the thing is, is that Carolina found an article that supported the fact that you know he probably did have a 90% clearance rate that was pretty clean. She found an article called Rethinking the Weimar Republic, 1916-1936, that said despite the widespread perception that serial murder was rampant in Germany during that time, there was actually a 40% decline in the German murder rate in the 20s. Hmm. Hmm. Now, not to raise too many alarm bells here... But oh, well, yeah, like like how though, Marcus? It doesn't seem like there's anything to be alarmed about. Everything's really normal. The news cycle is really quiet and sleepy, and we're all just enjoying Halloween with no distractions. But Weimar Republic Germany, where fascism was on the rise and the Nazis were coming into power, they were absolutely obsessed with true crime. Oh. Not unlike America is in this day and age. Hmm. Interesting. Let's weird. move 
on. Yeah, because it's like it's a weird correlation between the entire government changing towards yeah. the worse and a bunch of people watching serial killer material as if it's sports games. Yeah, okay, interesting. But that is quite fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it, it was just a part of the culture of Germany at the time is that despite uh, things being the least violent than they that they ever were mm-hmm. in Germany, the widespread perception was that crime was rampant, crime was everywhere, uh, and people were absolutely obsessed with true crime. So they talked about right. it all the time. They uh, well, wrote articles about it. They wrote books about it. Which is were, why we, which is why we read more about German serial killers than we would, because essentially, what I imagine is sort of like either the pulpy magazines or that kind of the, the true crime literature at the time would build up the ideas of all of these murderers and mm-hmm. shit. Which is why we're getting them now. Yeah. Which is why maybe in other cultures, a lot of it had the reason why we don't hear a lot about. I mean, because the closest country we get to Germany is France, yeah. but. Like, we don't hear a lot about Italian serial killers and shit like oh, that because... The Monster of Florence was a pretty big one in uh, in Italy. But, but the it, Germans, they, they talked about it. Like, how we know every time you hear a crazy story, you're like, that's Florida. But in reality, <laughs> that's also, like, Wisconsin and Arkansas. It's just the sunshine yeah. laws and stuff like that. Yeah, we just know all of the uh, details in every single crime in Florida because of the uh, laws as to how much the uh, newspapers can access um, criminal records in Florida. And they were still doing... Were they doing, like, newsreels? When they went to the cinema, it was yeah. all newsreels, right? So that this is probably pretty exciting stuff. Very exciting Keep stuff. Keep the people in the, in the seats. Oh yeah. However, the monster we're covering today, despite Germany having that super cop, he was not actually caught by the police. His reign of terror was so erratic, yet so somehow controlled that it was finished only when he decided it was. Hmm. So in addition to being a murderer, Peter Curtin was also a prolific criminal, impulsively committing assault, theft, rape, and arson for no other reasons than pure deviance and social misanthropy. And although Curtin's victims spanned a range of ages and included both men and women, Curtin didn't kill the less dead to satisfy his urges, like most serial killers do. Mm-hmm. Rather, Curtin killed victims who would specifically be missed. He is a villain hmm. in all true, uh, t- in all true meaning of the word. He is a guy that did every single thing he could to maximize pain, terror. And deviancy. He is. A, there was something about it. It's like you know that if he, if he did it, he did it to then make sure he then did it as fucked up as he could do it. Yeah. And then he loved telling everybody about it because he liked the look on their faces when they would register what he did. And mm-hmm. he would oftentimes speak to his victims while he in the mid murder he would tell them like, "I am the devil. I do this all the time, and I will do it a hundred more times. You're just one. You're mm-hmm. just one." Calm German. Very scary. Always. Very scary. So he went after the aristocrats and the wealthy and stuff like that. Every strike. He didn't go through, he didn't go to aristocrats and the wealthy. Like, well, okay. he never, Specifically. No. Not, he, did, he didn't go for rich people. He went for people like children. He went for oh, young I women. Okay. I mean, he, he went for, uh, like, one of his victims was a fairly prominent man uh, in his little suburb. He was a mechanic, but he was still like, a well-known I mechanic. See. He was well-liked. Uh, he chose victims whose deaths would have the most impact on society at large. Absolutely, man. You killed a town mechanic. That is a huge, <laughs> huge disservice. But Peter Curtin, on his way, was a missionary killer. Yes. Because he had, he was, uh, then again, then we're seeing Panzram, a stripe of Panzram in this, where he viewed all of society as his enemy. Yeah, mm. it was part of the point. Because besides the obvious sexual component, in which, you know, 
Curtin totally admits to this being an t- absolute sexual thing. He believed that society had wronged him in the past. Hmm. So therefore, society must pay with those most precious to it. So he just got super aroused every time he saw a broken down car. Uh, He's like, <laughs> once again, the mechanic won't fix your vehicle. I would put him up if there, again, I don't want to talk about it all the time like this, but if Albert Fish and him were in a horny contest, I don't know who would win. Wow. I don't know how you measure who's the most horny. Ugh. I think you just show him round objects and then move to square objects if you're still getting hard. But... Uh, Peter Curtin used to get so hard mm-hmm. so often that it was it was a part of it. It was this driving force, like literally a driving force since he was a child. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, however, although Peter Curtin was a ghastly, repulsive monster on the inside, he appeared to the world as the very definition of a well-put-together man. Mm. He was described as slim and good-looking. He put great care into his appearance every day. He wore cologne, and he kept his hair slicked back full of pomade. Yep, got that pomade. You know, he looks really good, and that's a part of, again, but this is my feeding to my theory of his system of total control, is that he wanted to make sure that he looked exactly how he wanted. He wanted to be beautiful doing it. He, mm. Technically, that is sort of like the satanic ideal. He was a, He wanted to be the monster. He wanted to be the monster but i also can fool you and i have mm-hmm. a wife and i have a house and i have a job and i just but this whole normal side of mm-hmm. my life it's also a part of my sexual game so yeah. very type a complete opposite of our vampire of sacramento definitely and the appearance thing that was the last ingredient that allowed peter Curtin to kill at least nine people mm. probably a lot more and it allowed him to attempt to kill dozens of others mm. so Perhaps Peter Curtin shared more with the modern version of a vampire than it seems at first glance. And he could turn into smoke. Ooh. <laughs> Remember that movie, Dead and Loving It? Yeah. What was that? Oh, my God. Now I'm blanking. Now I'm Leslie blank. Nielsen. Leslie Nielsen was That's the greatest. That's right, Leslie Nielsen needs an enema. That's the only bit in it that works. <laughs> the best vampire of all time, Leslie Nielsen. But before we get into the story itself, let's acknowledge our two sources for this series. The first is Monster by C.L. Sweeney. Now, while it is entertaining, it straight up ignores huge parts of Curtin's personality for the sake of a clean narrative and inexplicably changes the murder weapon in certain cases, despite concrete evidence that proves otherwise. It's a little sloppy. It's Why? very sloppy. They did that same thing with the Iceman uh, movie. Why change this stuff? But it, this is nonfiction. It's, like it, it's supposed to like it's supposed to be a true accounting. Right. Uh, but he completely changes murder weapons for I, I have I have no reason why okay the other source though is perhaps the first modern classic of true crime whose first printing is considered by some to be the holy grail of true crime book collecting that book is the sadist Ooh. by dr carl berg man if you want a thorough german examination of a serial killer this book Ooh. is a fucking a spotlight into this dude's life and a part of it is and what I like about it too because again what do we know how do we know as much as we do about Peter Curtin's murders from his confessions Peter Curtin loved talking about it but this is one of the first books I've read and this is from fucking the 1930s where doctor was like I immediately assumed that he was full of shit because all he <laughs> did was, was, was say all of these details yeah. and then Peter Curtin it's like the taking back at the doctor saying that my confessions could be full of shit he was like it's true because of 
my history in the world of crime, I long and love to create false narratives of crimes. And you would talk about it. And you'd talk about how you'd also lie and then not lie and do whatever you want. It's great. But it's a great book. It's great. Yeah. Sadist. Okay. Oh, yeah. It was, uh, well, the guy that wrote it, he was the medical examiner who worked the Curtin case. So this guy had very extensive knowledge of the autopsies and of the bodies. And there are some Ooh. amazingly gruesome pictures. Yeah, we in just, this. we just empathized with Carolina's life having to deal with all the true crime research of this show. But imagine being that dude's wife. <gasps> He loves it. Because he goes, he, all day he's looking at stab bodies, and all, and all night he's stabbing her body. You know what I'm talking about? I don't ba-boom, know. Ba-boom, 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 with the polka music playing in the background. <laughs> Nothing is more romantic than a German couple deep in their 50s. I don't know. It's a very interesting view of couples in Germany at this time. Well, the thing is, like Henry said, like this, ha- this book has extensive interviews with Peter Curtin himself. And although he did lie, uh, like Andre Chikatilo, like Peter Curtin had a near photographic memory, hmm. uh, and the things he lied about, like he lied about his capture, he lied about his relationship with his wife, but a lot of his recollections more or less match up with both autopsy reports and the testimonies of survivors, uh, and that's even survivors who never reported their attacks and were tracked down only after Curtin confessed and had no idea that Curtin was involved and didn't come to the police and say like, "Hey, I think I was a victim." of Peter Curtin. It was the police going out and saying like, hey, so what happened on this night? Did something happen to you? And they're mm. like, yeah, something did. This is what happened to me. And it. And the thing was that like while the specific details didn't match up all the time with Peter Curtin, the general details did. Okay. He liked to play with the truth and he yeah. liked to play with storytelling and he also, there was a part of it is that because he would talk about the erotic quotient of his memories yeah he said that he could come just remembering like he would go back to the scene of the crime and he would come his pants just sitting there remembering yeah oh. and he, a part of what it was is that i think he liked to keep the true details for himself yeah. well i mean and how then, many pair of pants did this guy have i mean <laughs> that seems <laughs> crazy just walking around dusseldorf and you're like, oh, oh, oh. i even forgot about that pants one you got were no thicker. idea how much shooting is going to be in this episode no Dude. kidding a lot <laughs> of that huh ejaculation but <laughs> you know what goodness. it is i don't know if he played with stories though he's not hans christian anderson here <laughs> i mean it seems like he was just kind of a liar i mean storyteller that's how we say it in my family instead of like <laughs> So, without further ado, let's tell the full story of Peter Curtin, a.k.a. the Vampire of Dusseldorf. If you want to be happy for the rest of your life, don't make a pretty woman your wife. I'm going to be doing a lot of dirty pokers. Oh, okay. Peter Curtin was born in Germany's Mödelheim Rhein in 1883. The oldest of 13 children. Didn't notice that also. 13. Unlucky. Interesting. There you go. He came from a family of alcoholics, and as such, Curtin grew up in grinding poverty. And since Peter was the oldest, he'd get the worst of his father's drunken rages. Then, after the beatings, Peter would lay bloody in the corner of their one-bedroom apartment and was forced to watch his father rape his mother and sisters. And Peter would sometimes have to endure direct sexual abuse from his father as well. I will say, in one of the only cases I've ever read this, the father ends up going to jail for incest later on. They actually, the the sisters and all have testified against the father, and you very rarely get 
that sort of there was some sort of justice. So considering Peter Curtin's upbringing, it isn't much of a surprise that Peter's antisocial behavior began at a young age. He claims to have committed his first murder at nine years old. And there is some evidence to support that claim. Some people say that I've murdered, but I would say some people don't like chocolate. <laughs> well, did you poison the, did you poison the chocolate? Mm. Yeah. Many secrets. Nine years old. That nine was years the, old. Was this a murder of an adult or another child? Well, here's the story. Peter had been invited out to a rafting trip on the River Rhine with two of his friends. As they sailed down the river, Peter pushed one of the boys off the side just to see what would happen. Now, while that could technically be attributed to a kid just not understanding the consequences of his actions, what Peter said happened next shows definite premeditation. The other kid jumped into the river to try to save the one that was drowning, but when the kid couldn't save him, he tried getting back up in the raft. So Peter impulsively reached down and held his exhausted young friend's head underwater until the kid drowned. Can you imagine that in the movies? Like the movie version of this, like camera up through the water, like in just his smiled child, like wolf face going. (laughs) (laughs) Very creepy. Very creepy. So now, so both of those kids died. Yeah. So his first murder was a double homicide? Yeah, I mean, I guess the first one would probably be manslaughter and the second one was, I would say like a manslaughter murder. And then he had to do the whole rafting trip alone. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Is that what happened? That's what he always wanted. (laughs) But it was like, what's his name? Remember the little girl that was in that movie, The Piano? And she got nominated for an Oscar. Yes, and, and that was her well first deserved. film. Yeah, yeah, well yeah, deserved, yeah. yeah. And when Peter was found later floating down the river alone, he was crying, and he told the authorities that the boys had fallen off the river in an accident a little while back. And the thing was, this happened. At the very least, two kids drowned on a rafting trip with Peter Curtin when he was nine years old. If this whole thing ends with it being proportional dwarfism, I'm going to be really upset. (laughs) That's a reference to orphan. Yeah, and the thing is that we really only have Peter himself to vouch for the method of how the boys died. And then we have the cover for Problem Child 4, which (laughs) is just him alone in the raft with the two empty life vests next to him. Well, either way, Peter said that this was the moment he realized he could talk his way out of pretty much anything if only he showed the emotions that people were expecting to see and if there was no hard evidence that he'd done anything wrong. I think it's the latter that really, <laughs> really helps you get away with it. Well, especially as a little kid. But it's yeah. like you can sort of imagine it because you've seen little kids do this where she's like, and then he fell in the river and then yeah. Bobby went in and get him out and he didn't get out. <laughs> And then I floated down the river alone. (laughs) (laughs) Man, that's that's a really scary story. Yeah, a a sociopath nine year old. Have you seen Facebook? It's mostly it's mostly (laughs) no. I think that I don't even know what the kids are on anymore. Peter Curtin didn't become the vampire of Dusseldorf all on his own. Like Richard Ramirez. Curtin got outside help in developing his eventual monstrous persona. Yeah, of course. You need to get the monster squad. He had the mummy. He had the werewolf. He had... But uh, in real life. But in real life. Okay. Well, besides the almost daily torments of his father, both seen and experienced, Peter made friends with a dog catcher in his apartment building in Dusseldorf. Well, I love catching dogs. Look, we got Puffin right here. I yeah, get a little pets. It's so nice. It's they, nice to get him on your lap. But they kill him. 
Yeah. Well, mm. apparently back then, a German dog catcher didn't just roll around town picking up strays to bring him back to the pound. Dog catchers back then would catch dogs, kill them, and butcher them for meat. Oh. Selling the lard to doctors to, quote-unquote, fix cobwebs over wounds. Can you imagine... <laughs> Being in the urgent care, right? Like you just chop the tip of your thumb off, old chopping garlic, but while screaming about your manager, right? Now, was that a personal story for you, or? <laughs> and so you're in the, but they go and they they patch it up. They sit you and we're like, we just want to say it's just like, you know, it's like, and we'll take your insurance great. And it's like, and also, you can think you're the fixing your injury too. Muffins. <laughs> oh. and the little picture of the dog that you got the lard from. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, this sort of work naturally attracted a certain sort of person. What? I would think so. (laughs) And it seems as if the dog catcher that lived in Peter's building was among the worst. This guy tortured and mutilated his catches before killing them. And then, once they were dead, he would have sex with the dog corpses. What? All while laughing like he was having the time of his life. All right. How... What is like doing the Dom DeLuise laugh uh, as he's okay. <laughs> what the? as he's fucking these dogs? Right, so he gets eyes in his lap. Dogs. Uh, what just... on earth? How do we know this? How how did this evidence come to light? Peter Curtin. 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 Peter Curtin. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, and Peter said like he did all of this in front of Peter. And Peter was nine years old. And this whole time, the guy's gleefully encouraging you Peter to do this. All right. <laughs> so Peter Curtin didn't have a chance in hell. He did not. Basically, no, right? No, no, no. He, I mean, he, this is brutal. This is absolutely brutal. Yeah. Peter said uh, the guy even showed him how to make a dog ejaculate. Uh, and every What every nine-year-old boy wants to know. <laughs> and uh, he, the, the dog catcher said, or he said the dog catcher told him that, you know, after you did that to a dog, according to Peter, quote, an animal like that can't even be beaten away. Oh, you know what? I'm gonna making it come. I'm going to retroactively put gold star on this right here. This, oh, is, this you, you is nasty. Know I did. I did forget. This is like a gold star. Like this is like through and through gold. Well, you're star. just like, springing it on us, Marcus. I did. I did not have my gold star brain on. I could just imagine the dog catchers being like, you know, Peter, you're a fun guy. You're a funny little kid. I know I'm 45 and you're nine. We're having a fun time, right? You're enjoying is. yourself. Yeah, I drink water. I drink beer instead of water because the beer is clean. Sense of water. Yeah, you see, we're having fun time. You see, in Germany. But I want to show you something special, something fun. We've never done this before. You know that dogs make horrible milk? Oh, my How God. How do they do it? Oh, I, I tell you, you pull on another. You pull on another till it squeals. That's not milk. <laughs> well, so after this, that began an adolescence of bestiality for Peter Curtin. <sighs> now, this is actually a serious question. Sure. You grew up in a rancher's lifestyle. Yep. Right? The, you well, got, I mean, in a rancher town. Like, the lifestyle was, I mean, it was fine. But, yeah, a, a ranch town, yeah. With people that are surrounded by animals, uh-huh. how often and how normalized is bestiality? By the time I was, a, you know, a teenager, it if was- If you end that sentence with, had sex with 18 dogs, I'm <laughs> ne- the podcast is over. And well, we, yes. <laughs> in many ways, it's <laughs> over. <laughs> by the time I was 18. No, no, no. That was a, a completely out of vogue. But, you know, back, back in the day, uh, pretty, 
pretty prevalent. So, yeah. you, so someone's having sex with a cow. They're like, pretty, it's pretty in vogue right now. You're gonna want to do it too. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Um, well, having sex with cows is so 1975. Oh, you mean it's out of vogue? <laughs> yeah, oh. I had sex with a fish yesterday. That's how cool I am. I'm a regular David Bowie. Wow. No, but, I, I've, I've heard many, many, uh, many a story. Well, uh, if you really want to go mine through the round table of gentlemen you episodes, can go I'm mine. sure we've had a I'm conversation. I'm not supposed to talk about it anymore. <laughs> but um, I'm just, I'm just curious about. Whether or not, yeah, it's, it's pretty, like, no, it's pretty normal. But I mean, but in my where I grew up, like you're talking about calves, so you ugh. know, it's it's much, it's a larger thing. It got hooves. They're gonna hurt you if you're not careful. Yeah, man. Yeah, you usually need to have, usually need to have help. Go read the last picture show. It'll tell you all about. Okay, it. Great. Yeah. wonderful. Great. Now I definitely am gonna race to fucking Barnes and Noble and get that. <laughs> Gotta get it. <laughs> last picture for that book. Hey, fantastic Bar- American novel. It's wonderful. Hey, Barnes and Noble employee, I'm looking for the book where the guy has sex with all the cows. Last picture show. <laughs> last right picture here show. Okay. <laughs> well, the thing is about Peter Curtin, it wasn't just dogs. Pretty soon, he moved on to sheep, as many young boys did at the time. <laughs> but it was in this that Peter first made the connection between sex and violence. This was it! This was it. Or at the very least, violence done by him. He said that when he was 13, he had broken into a pen and was attempting to have sex with a sheep. The sheep, though, wouldn't sit still, so Peter stabbed it, and in that moment, he ejaculated. (sighs) But it went far beyond dogs and sheep. Good, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm doing the episode, Marcus. Yeah, we're yeah, getting... if it's no, stopped there, he could have just dude, been a guy that was with a lot of animals. I don't know. We're still in the animal kingdom here. Like, we're okay, still... We're, we're, gonna, st- we're hanging around Mammalia. Are we going to have a Pink Flamingo's chicken scene coming up here anytime soon, or...? Peter Curtin said when he was 14, he broke a squirrel's neck. And in that moment, he ejaculated. <sighs> Another time, he just saw a horse bleeding to death on the streets. And in that moment... What happened? He ejaculated. Oh. Did he really? Okay. <laughs> I'm saying, man, to be honest, to be this to be this horny at a point has to be an inconvenience. Yeah, of course. I would think so. And Especially this, for the animals. And this continued even during his murder spree. On um, one night in 1930, he was walking near the edge of a lake in Dusseldorf when he spotted a sleeping swan. He grabbed it, cut off the head, then drank the blood flowing from the stump. What? And in that moment, yep. he ejaculated. Yep. Okay, so I that saw is... that coming. That was <laughs> yeah, no, no Henry Prize winning story there. I saw that coming. I also think, is that the original ending uh, to The Ugly Duckling? <laughs> Whoa, how fucking I dark that would be. That's if Darren Aronofsky redoes <laughs> it like in a movie. But do you think he looked at that swamp? He's like, okay. What's the most mental fucking way I can fuck up this lake? Jesus. Can you imagine walking through the park? Oh, Not anymore, bitch! Oh my goodness. All right. Yeah, just some maniac drinking blood from this long stump of a, of a swan. I would tell you what, you can at least thank me for not using a straw. Can I just say... I guess its neck was the straw that he was using, which is uh, disgusting. Can, uh-huh. I, but why is it this? So he, people knew he was doing this. No, they did not know. This. No, people okay. did not know he was doing this. All right, because yeah. if they did, theoretically, he would have gotten into some trouble. Yeah, right? he wasn't a YouTuber. Okay. desperate for content. Okay, <laughs> all right, good to know. Well, Curtin said that many times it wasn't necessarily the act of taking a life that made him ejaculate. It was simply the sight and sound. Of gushing blood. 
This is what he said to Dr. Berg during one interview. You can imagine that, Professor, and you must try it for yourself sometime. How the blood rushes absolutely silently when you cut off the head of a goose. Ah, God, just what a horrible day yeah. to be a janitor <laughs> at that the therapist's that... office. When he comes in, you just know in two hours you got a lot of cleanup to do. Well, they put a tin underneath him. They put like a <laughs> oh, litter I box see. underneath the chair. But I feel like professors in Germany, I mean, like, to be honest, it's like psychologists in Germany or psychologists in general, it's like, like, don't get me wrong, there's going to be psychologists out there. I'm going to ask these questions quite a bit as we go. But I feel like psychologists would be like, yes. <laughs> like, as soon as it comes oh, you got one? Like, this is a good story? Yeah, this is a good one, yeah. And by the way, as far as how Peter preferred his ejaculations, he said spilling it out of a flaccid member was the nicest way of all. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, you're dropping your gum out of your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> it's nothing better okay. than like, when, like, Sin- squid, the end of right. the fucking soft penis just going, like, just, <laughs> yeah, just, <laughs> just like at the end of, when you got the total toaster strudel and you got that one little like pea-sized dollop of it left uh-huh. in, and you're just trying to slap the packet until <laughs> it gets all out. Um, the old one-eye weep it is disgusting. But again, is- you can see how it's being contrary. Yeah. It's him saying this He is so contrary stuff. and he comes soft. Yes. <laughs> that's, the, that's how you know he's contrary. He is the most libertarian comer of all. <laughs> Good Lord. Uh, I don't even need to be hard. Okay, you don't need to be hard. <sighs> so when Peter was 16, he decided that he'd had enough of his family, so he ran away from home. His father had just set him up with a job at a local woodwork, so Peter broke in, stole 300 marks, and took off. And this is actually after his... That was his father's final, because they knew about the animal fucking. Yeah. They knew about oh. all the stuff as a little kid. And he said, that's what broke the stramble, That's the straw that broke the camel's back with his father, because his father set him up with the job. Mm-hmm. And then he was just like, fuck you, and he just took money and <laughs> left. Right. Well, I don't think uh, the straw that broke the camel's back is the proper analogy. We don't <laughs> yeah. need to have any more ejaculate conversation. Yeah, it's the, it's the dick that hit the camel's prostate. <laughs> right. But then his dad has no standing here to be ashamed of his son, because his dad's a horrible piece of crap himself. Sure. Well, it was actually during the investigation into the theft that investigators discovered all of the rape and incest that was going on in the Curtin home, and that's how uh, Peter Curtin's father got arrested and sent to prison. Okay. Uh, Peter Curtin was caught four days after the theft, and thus began a life of imprisonment, theft, rape, arson, and murder that would last for over a quarter century until his capture in 1930. From 1900 to 1904, Peter was in and out of prison for a series of thefts. Then, in 1904, he committed a string of barn arsons that earned him an eight-year stretch behind bars. Say barn arson, how many times in a row you get a free sub over at Subway? I don't know. (laughs) The old barson there. And prison was the place, according to Peter Curtin, that made him who he was. Hmm. Of course, Peter did not blame himself for committing these senseless crimes that had no real purpose. He blamed all his bullshit on authority figures, saying they, quote, caused him to be so dedicated at seeking revenge. Okay. However, he never went into why that time was so awful. Although Peter was ready to talk to Berg about any of his horrific times, do it with a smile, the only time he'd get angry or really show any emotion other than joy was when prison was brought up. He said that they, um, the one thing that, a detail that I saw is that he said that they uh, would f- use the 
they would use the punishment of fettering yeah. more often than that doesn't not. Sound good, but it, it, that is being chained to a wall. Uh, so yeah. they said that they would use ankle. They would use ankle chains. Fetters. Okay. Yeah. They, these okay. fetters. fetters. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay, they would yeah. put. They would chain them to a wall, and they said that one of the only times that he was viewed by an outside person is that a local bishop came and saw him in the fetters and was so moved at his punishment he fell to his knees and kissed the fetters yeah. um, oh. out of out of pure uh, sorrow, which is just like. <laughs> First so, of all, disgusting. He was just trying to fucking suck that little boy's feet. Who knows? So this is, like, we talk about the stew all the time. We are in full on. This has uh, got the childhood with the dad. This is uh, a slow cooker marinade of, of a gabadoosh. Right. I don't know what the hell this is. So what I firmly believe, I'm sure prison, I'm sure they did horrible things. God knows what they were doing in German prisons in the early 19th century. Well, I mean, he I said. Guess 20th century. He said he did spend a lot of time in solitary, but he said uh, that was the only time he really enjoyed in prison because he got a little alone time. Uh, but mostly, Curtin said he spent all his time thinking about murdering the entire world. Again, that's why you got to ask, what you thinking about? <laughs> what are you thinking about? But you never say anything. You go, nothing. Nothing. <laughs> that's how you know it's bad. But I will say, this has been the difference between Pan's Ram and him, right? Because I do believe he was thinking about murdering the entire world, but not in sort of that driven, I want it. I wish the whole world had a throat so I could crush it thing. Mm -hmm. I think it actually made him hard. Yeah. I think he wanted to, because, yeah, Panzerim just wanted to take care of the world all in one fell swoop. Right. Peter Curtin wanted to kill every person one by one. Slowly, huh? Yeah, all he right. wanted to take care of it himself. In fact, he said this, quote, I'd think about attacking staff and inmates, setting the place on fire. I'd like to sabotage the railways to kill as many people as possible. Yeah. If I had the means, I would have killed the masses. I would have caused catastrophes. Honestly, he sounds like a character I just friended in Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> he sounds like a character I just friended in Red Dead Redemption, and um, that makes me really... Like, I'm going to talk to my character about geese. And, if, and we're, when we drive by a dead horse, I'm just going to look at him really, really close and make sure I'm, everything's okay. Oh, you mean floating slushies? <laughs> but Curtin, he did his time, and when he was released back onto the streets... He made good on his promise to unleash chaos upon the world, hitting the ground running with his first confirmed murder. Okay. See, when Peter was released, he went straight back to petty thievery, specializing in houses where the ground floor was used primarily as a business while the families lived and slept upstairs. Now, the way he puts this, he did do this for survival. Yeah. Like, he was on the streets. He was living on the street. He'd had no other job. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, he didn't try to get an honest job, but a part of it was that he was just stealing to eat uh, as much as he could. Okay. Yeah. So, on May 25th, 1913, Peter Curtin targeted an inn called the Wiesthaus Peter Kleinschenke, owned and operated by who else but Peter Klein. On that night, Curtin moved from room to room, finding nothing to steal, until he spotted 10-year-old Christine Klein asleep in her feather bed. Acting on a whim, Curtin entered her room, strangled the little girl, and sawed her throat open with his pocket knife. He then masturbated and left. And there's other details in there, too. I'm not going to talk about them. I don't want to talk about them. You don't want to hear them. If you have the burning urge to know <coughs> the more horrific details of Peter Curtin's crimes, you can go ahead and check it out online. But 
I don't want to get into his it. ultimate in perversion. Just to just to, we'll just say it out loud. Just one thing is like he liked to degrade the bodies. That was his favorite. That was his thing. That's what he would do. But for us to go into detail after detail, it's going to be a point where you're just going to drive your car into the fucking river. <laughs> right. Exactly. We don't want. We cannot have dead listeners. Um. So this was the first kill. His but very, this, this is like, this, this is why pretty, he, he really jumped into the deep end here. Yeah. That's why I don't think it was his first kill. Right. This is a part of it because the idea of jumping straight from petty theft to full on sex murder of a little girl on a whim is very interesting. And it's also the way he did it, too, because that little pocket knife would become a thing that he did again and again. Where he would purposely stab the throat with a little like little just to make the spurt come out. Mm-hmm. Well, mm. he did say that he attempted to strangle a woman in 1899. Uh, there was yeah. a couple of attempts okay. before this. Uh, so this wasn't it wasn't I, I mean, a lot of times the guys uh the serial killers like they don't go all in with the first kill even though they may commit some assaults and rapes before that uh but peter Curtin, he went all in he knew immediately what he liked as soon as it happened the thrill Mm. that went through his body was a thing that he said that he was trying to replicate reproduce that feeling again and again and again right so the next day after the murder he returned to the scene of the crime and had a beer at a cafe across the street so he could bask in the misery he'd caused, later saying that all the horror and indignation did him good. Oof. Now, Peter had thought that he'd left nothing behind at the crime scene, but it turned out that he'd actually left a very incriminating piece of evidence. He'd dropped a handkerchief that had his initials embroidered into the fabric. Fucking oh. Mr. Beaning it over here. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, though... P.K. also happened to be the initials of the victim's father, Ugh. Peter Klein. So rather than drive the investigation towards Curtin, the handkerchief actually sent investigators on a wild goose chase that damn near got another man hung. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, dude. It destroyed the entire Klein family. Yeah. See, the night before, Peter Klein was seen having a very public altercation over money with his brother Otto in a local tavern. According to witnesses, the last thing Otto said before he left was that he was going to do something that his brother would remember for the rest of his life. Cut to him oh. just double-deckering the upstairs toilet. Just be <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, oh, he's like, always going to remember this. Yeah, like going to, no going to laugh about this every Christmas time. Yeah, and that is, that's a classic prank. It's you a know? great prank. Yeah, yeah. naturally. Now, even though Otto was just as distraught as everyone else, I mean, his niece was dead. His beloved niece had been horrifically murdered. Even though he was just as distraught, brutal crimes, as we well know, often result in hasty arrests. Mm -hmm. So this poor guy was charged with the murder of his niece, which damn near added a second death to an already tragic murder. Otto, though, was thankfully acquitted, but he was never the same and died in the killing fields of World War I just two years later. Yikes. Meanwhile, Peter Curtin's impulsive act of murder had only left him wanting more. In June, he began the first of his many phases. Because see, throughout Peter's career, he experimented with a wide range of techniques and weapons, which is part of what made him so difficult to even identify, mm. much less catch. And to me, that is a subconscious, almost bragging yeah the way he would talk about his crimes later on the simple and the simple and direct detail work and he would talk also about upping his game and he would talk about 
uh, trying to add things to his toolbox. He would mm. add stuff like talk. He would say he was searching for a new thrill. Like he would do all mm. stuff. He would purposely try to make it the crime uh, a way that he would be easily caught, and then he would just manage to get away from everybody. Like when we talk about AJ Holmes. Mm-hmm. So he was adapting, and I don't know if this will stay in or not. But you guys have a horrible idea about what's going to happen with Michael Phelps. And I want to <laughs> say this: speaking of adapting, Michael Phelps, Olympic hero, hats off. Thank you, sir. All those gold medals. Didn't go unnoticed, but you know what else is going? What is going unnoticed? His work in mental health. He is working in mental health now, and yeah. you guys think he's a sociopath. I don't. And he think, is not. He's saving lives. I never I'm, thought he was a sociopath. That wasn't my opinion. That was Henry's opinion. That's my Henry's opinion. opinion. <laughs> is just saying because of fate and because people like watching our heroes tumble, and because of the pressure of that, I can see Michael Phelps just being in a scenario somewhere in his forties where like there's a dead woman in his pool. <laughs> no, it's, it's not, not him. It's not him. It's, it's not, not him. He's it's, like, it's, like, it's his buddy Ugh. Craig. Who Craig? I never have a friend named Craig. No, that's not Craig true. Rowan is a wonderful guy. Yeah, he's a wonderful guy. Your pretty face is going to hell. Check him out on that show. Michael Phelps doing doing some good work. He is doing some good work, and I applaud him for being open about his struggles with mental illness. Yeah, even making him making his fall even more ripe for the media to uh, allow <laughs> oh, themselves right. to dance on his grave. Well, the first weapon that Peter Curtin experimented with was a hatchet. Mm. At about 11 o'clock on a Saturday night, one month after the Klein murder, Curtin had left home with what he called his chopper. Get back to the chopper! (laughs) (laughs) He spotted a girl of about 20 about to walk into a building alone. Curtin said he walked up behind her just as she was entering, and he whacked her on the head with the thick side of the hatchet, sending her crumpling to the ground without a sound. As Peter ran away. Now, this is very mm. common with Peter Curtin. He is not a, uh, he sort of tracks his victims, but it's really spur of the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He likes heat, and it's all outside. He's like Chickatillo. Yes, it's all just whatever can come. And that's a part of the reason why I think, I think that when you spend a lot, a lot of times doing the sort of stalking and doing all this shit, you're opening yourself up to being investigated. You're opening yourself up to being seen, which is a part of the sexual play of people who spend a long time choosing their victims, especially like BTK, right. where he liked the build. He liked doing up. Where Peter Curtin was that he had an impulse. He walked out of the door. He saw somebody he murdered them immediately yeah Hmm. well the next month curtain walked up to a man sitting on a park bench just as the sun was setting and peter sunk the sharp edge of the hatchet into the man's skull again causing the victim to silently collapse but this time curtain took cover nearby and watched as the blood flowed from the wound and in that moment he ejaculated. He ejaculated. Oh, I I thought that was going to be different this time. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Okay. I do. I do wish he didn't say, "Did I do that?" Every single time <laughs> that he did that, because yeah. it's like again, you know, because catchphrases wear thin, which uh, is why yeah. I stopped doing detective popcorn for as long as as I have. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, there was one more attempt made on a sleeping teenage girl, but a man jumped up from a nearby bed just as Curtin was about to swing the hatchet. So Curtin just threw it down on the girl's blanket and ran off. Now, that last one is interesting because there was actually a witness to corroborate the story. The man who jumped out of the bed was the girl's father, and he later reported that he did indeed find a hatchet in his daughter's bed one night after chasing a man away. But did he go to the police in this situation? Or It's so fucking difficult. They're already sleeping in a tenement house. It's all this fun. Like, it's so difficult for them to, like, 
piece all this shit together. So this is what like are they lower gonna, income. What uh, are they going to do? You know, I mean, I don't know if it was lower income. I think it was like you know middle, like probably lower okay. middle. I'm not sure exactly, but yeah. It so w- he got he's been sloppy since day one. Then with the handkerchief and now the axe. Yeah, I mean he he's just kind of doing whatever, but it's also erratic. It's weird that it's so erratic because he seems like he's all buttoned up. He's yeah. got everything. All his shoes are shined. That's Wear what I'm nice saying. Outfits, good mustache. It's all about the packaging. He all of it is on purpose. Each part of it. The him being super erratic is a part of the game. It's about seeing hmm. what he can get away with. Yeah. But that attempt on the teenager, that would be Curtin's last attempt for many years because in 1914, things got a little hairy in Germany. Curtin What happened, Marcus? <laughs> Curtin was conscripted for service in World War 1, but predictably deserted before he saw a moment's combat. Cuz this is what Marcus and I were talking about a little bit about how it was just like, well, if he just held out cuz he got arrested in 1930, it's like he could have been a part of the fucking German government or he could have been a successful German businessman. Like you imagine <laughs> someone yelling at him. I the, think you just freak out. That's no. what we said. Yeah, he's that, got Yeah, he's got a, too much of a rebellious streak. He couldn't he couldn't stand authority, so he had Actually, probably would have hated the Nazis. Yeah, probably. Yeah, but for you know different reasons than everyone he else. He just doesn't like uh, to be told told what to do. Exactly. Yeah. He's like, I'll be a Nazi on my own. I was already <laughs> doing the Nazi shit. You're a bunch of fucking hacks stealing my bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> well, because he deserted, he was arrested soon after, and he spent the entirety of World War One plus three years extra in a military prison, and was released in 1921 after seven years. So you okay. got to miss the whole war. Missed yeah. the whole thing, yeah. Not so bad, actually, really. Yeah. Kind of got exactly what he wanted in, in a way. Mm-hmm. Following that, Peter reconnected with one of his sisters and joined her in a small town called Altenburg, where he made the acquaintance of his future wife, Augusta. Now, Augusta had a bit of a checkered past herself. I think it's kind of fun. She had shot and killed a gardener with whom she'd had an eight-year relationship after he suddenly broke off their engagement in 1911. Hmm. And she'd done five years in prison for the crime. That's sexy. These prison <laughs> sentences are quite interesting given the, uh, given the extreme crime. It's but... just like, you've got five years for the murdering of a stupid little gardener. <laughs> it's not right. It's not right. But it, it's very interesting because he showed up at his wife's, his sister's house. He showed up at his sister's house. And it's like a whole other guy showed up. Mm-hmm. He showed up being like, sister, I'm here. I'm <laughs> yeah. going to bring the sort of house guest life back into this house. I'm your Sinbad. Yeah, it's like when Fester shows up in Adam's family and you're like, I don't think he's really Fester. Yeah. I don't know. But he and he didn't friendly. tell his sister like where he did, that he'd been in prison the entire time. He's like, oh yeah, I was in Zavor. It kind of sucked, but you know, I'm fine. I'm here now. Anyway, uh. now back to dancing at the discotheque. <laughs> uh-huh. But he met Augusta and she was like, because they were desperate to hook Augusta up because Augusta was a spin because she sort of killed her last fiance. Kind of, yeah. Seems like it. <laughs> now, the romantic myth of these two that somehow got propagated over the years was that Peter Curtin was a monster to the rest of the world, yet was a kind and loving husband to his wife, and he was never, ever mean to her, much yeah. less abusive. It is the exact opposite. Always. Yeah. This is oh, the yeah. Iceman narrative, too. These people are horrible. It's the exact same narrative as the Iceman. Because as we know, like the monster in the streets, sweetheart in the sheets trope, doesn't exist in the real world. You gotta but, flip that. Yeah. <laughs> a psychopath is a psychopath no matter what. And they don't just magically leave their shit outside when they come home at night. I mean, isn't the only the only one that I would push back mildly on is Dennis Rader. Because I heard, oh, according is, to his oldest daughter, he was actually a really good dad. I'm yeah. going to bring this up again. 
This is the connection between him and BTK. And I'd love for a psychologist, a listener, to tell me if I'm right or if I'm wrong or their opinion about this. Is that I believe that that Curtin, same thing with BTK, all of it is the game. Yeah. All of it is the right. game. So Being a good dad was actually like a psychopathic victory for Dennis Rader. Being a quote-unquote successful husband, which you're going to find out, though, he did repeatedly rape his own wife. He was very, very abusive. He was a terror to be around. But a part of it is that is the outside of it a whole part of us it's like i how empty are psychopaths yeah like and i mean like clinical psychopaths like right or right. can they actually feel the emotion of love do they know what that means no. because love is about is specifically about having empathy and understanding of somebody else's feelings and looking out for somebody else in their life so am i imagining it's like i can't um, for the the amount of chaos and horror that both of those men caused right that the idea that they would flip and be somebody else other people it's like i don't think so i don't think that's that's possible no it does dennis raider is the only one that stands out in my mind well i think henry's right about that with at least as far as like dennis raider goes because like i mean you could see dennis raider you know providing for his ha- family and his wife yeah. him, like i love you so much you're so good to us you're such a good man and him just thinking in his head can't wait to get back to the garage I got a brand new pair of panties in there and then I because you know what it is because people because from what I've read about psychopathology is that it's not evil it's shallowness. Yeah. It's this thing. It's that there's nothing there. There is right. no Peter Curtin. Mm-hmm. It's just a man operating like a robot in a, in order to keep his shit together in society. Hmm. Yeah. Well, for an example, as far as Peter and Augusta went, they went out on a couple of dates when they first met. And when Augusta refused to sleep with Peter, he told her he'd stick a knife through her ribs if she didn't. By 1923, they were married, and that pattern held until he went to prison. And for some reason, some people, like these writers out there, are trying to make it sound like, oh, Peter Curtin, that's the one thing. I, how I, he loved his wife so much, and he sacrificed so much for his wife. Some I, people don't have redeeming qualities. Yeah, exactly. Some people are just straight up pure monsters. You know what it is, though? It's selling a narrative. Yes, I can see why is, you yeah. want that, yes. because a part of it, you want to say that it makes it more interesting, that he has this double life. Yeah, but it's why just, the Iceman was, you know, why... Why they made that movie the way they that, did in yeah. the Iceman? They, Dylan and uh, Dylan Klebold, Eric Harris, same fucking bullshit. I hate that that lie. Yeah, that propagated lie over and over again. It's so bad. They're just bad people. Yeah. Well, the saddest part of, about Augusta was that she believed that she deserved her life with Peter Curtin because she'd killed her ex fiance over a decade earlier, and that anything that he did to her was just punishment for what she'd done. Hmm. But at the very least. Peter Curtin did not immediately go back to a life of public crime following his release from prison like he had the time before. He kept his shit relatively under control for a full four years until he arrived back in Dusseldorf in 1925. But he purposely sought out going back to Dusseldorf. Yes, he did. There was something about going back to the old to the old stomping grounds yeah, that right. he wanted. He was like, because I wanted to go back and bring hell specifically to Dusseldorf. Right, like how Michael Myers goes back to Haddonfield. It's exactly like that. And that, in Dusseldorf, is when Peter Curtin's true reign of horror began in 1925. He started by attacking women on the street, strangling and raping four between 1925 and 1928. And in that same period, Curtin committed, by his reckoning, 32 cases of arson around Dusseldorf. Mm. Those included two houses, four barns, one plantation, a forest, 
and a whole shitload of sheds. Jeez. A lot of sheds. A lot of sheds. So many sheds. So hard to put up a shed. It's you gotta really get it, you gotta plank it all down. And you know what it is, too? And then Curtin said it because his favorite part, it wasn't about the fires and stuff. It's like no. he loved the chaos afterwards. He yeah. loved seeing all the people struggle to go. And all he ever Ugh. did was hope that somebody was inside that they would die. Yeah. So he's doing horrible things to people, horrible things to anything around. Yeah, anything around him. Yeah, in one night alone in 1929, he set fires in 10 locations. And all this was building back to the act that Curtin had first supposedly committed when he was just nine years old. Murder. 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 Honestly, he and Varg Vikernick may have been, may have been good friends. Yeah. Didn't Varg burn down a bunch of churches? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, they'd have a great time, yeah. Well, the first true attempt at murder in Dusseldorf came on February 3rd, 1929. During Peter's lunch break from the factory that day, he decided that after his shift ended, it was finally time to kill again. And it was going to be either a woman or a child. Do you think whichever he had a, one he came across this, first? Do you again. think that he had a calendar that he just went and he would just go through the days and he just randomly wrote them in like kill again, like just <laughs> got to the day. February third? No, it was like, on yep. his lunch break. He was just he said he was walking around Dusseldorf and was just looking around and thought like. Today's a day. All right, okay. let's do it after work. Yeah, no, no, my lunch break's almost over, so I don't have enough time to fit it in before. You know, yeah, I do. I, it is interesting. He's like, I, but I've got to go to work. My boss is going to yell at me. I'm just five minutes late. But it's so important to tell other people your goals, so you're held accountable <laughs> to it. So I made sure I told the man that is the bathroom attendant at the factory. I said, "Well, today I'm going to kill again," and he went, "Okay, sir." My goodness. Yeah. So after he got off work, Curtin wandered the streets until he found a young woman named Maria Kuhn. He grabbed her from behind by the lapels, pulled her behind a bush, and brought out a pair of scissors. He covered her mouth with one hand and stabbed her 24 times with the other. Then he ran away. However, Maria Kuhn survived. Now, Swinney... For some reason, wrote in Monster that Curtin let her live in the hopes that she would tell the police about what happened, but it was a foregone conclusion that she was going to tell the police. And that doesn't really make much sense anyway, because Peter Curtin didn't want to get caught. He, no. wasn't, a, he wasn't a guy that wanted a t- right. attention necessarily, like not to him completely. If he got caught, then he wasn't able to do anything else to make people feel weird. In fact, that claim is actually contradicted by Curtin himself. He said that he was surprised when he was cleaning the attempted murder weapon uh, and because he found that only 10 millimeters had broken off the sharp end of the scissors. And he was surprised because he was like, I thought I stabbed much deeper than that. But I guess not. I guess I did not. It's like when you're planking <laughs> for a minute and you check the clock again and you think, oh, I got to be almost done. And right. it's like you've only been doing it for like 25 seconds. Yeah, yeah it is like that, Henry. <laughs> it, it, it is indeed. Yeah. This, that is interesting. So this and did he use the scissors because it was another random? Just wanted to. Fucking yeah. there. So He's used, yeah. So he's got the hatchet. He's got the scissors. He, it's just a, he looked at anything. the he looked at the scissors and thought, "Wouldn't that be fun?" I mean, and that 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 was his entire thought process. He'd he'd look at a weapon and he'd think, "Boy, that'd be a lark, wouldn't it?" So let's use the let's use the scissors this time. All right. Don't they teach that in the Mossad and stuff like that, where it's like you can kill people with a soda can, you can kill people with yeah, like I don't a chair mess with them. and shit. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't mess with Mossad or Krav Maga or anything like that. Like those guys are. That's a different level altogether. But yeah, they can just do that though. They can just yeah. grab stuff and kill you with yeah, it. They can sharpen a strand of hair and poke it through your neck. No, yeah. not my hair. No, I only have so many lines. I know. <laughs> Well, Curtin would not make the same mistake with his next victim, and this one would be far crueler than the last. 
I think, yeah, let's go. Let's say gold star on this one. Yeah, yeah it's all rough. Yeah, it's all, thing, yeah. Well, I would say that, yeah, this whole, like, just no, throughout this entire series, like, there's going to be some pretty fucking rough murders here. On February 9th, Peter Curtin spotted eight-year-old Rosa Olinger playing alone in her front yard. He snatched her up, covered her mouth, and took her to the nearby woods where he choked her unconscious. Then he stabbed the child 13 times, including once in the left temple. Curtin then pressed his lips to the temple wound and drank the blood that flowed forth, and thus the vampire of Dusseldorf was truly born. Then he went to the fucking movies. He does this a what? lot. It seems that after crimes, like he'll go and fucking grab a beer. Yeah, just grab like hang a beer. Out. Go, because and he said he went to the movies because he had a free, he still had a free ticket in his pocket. Like he discovered that he had a free ticket. It's like, oh, that sounds like fun. Let's go do that. That's how blase wow. he was about this. Okay, uh, but also keep in mind that the blood sucking is just what Peter Curtin said he did. Uh, there was rumors in one of the autopsy reports that it was like, well, that could be. A bite mark. It might be a bite mark, but we can't confirm that. And also, like, it's hard to believe that a man could pull off something like the murder of Rosa Olinger or the attempted murder of Maria Kuhn without walking away completely covered in blood. Right. But rather acknowledging that, you know, this is a near impossibility, Curtin turned it into what seemed like a point of pride. He said that he rarely got bloodstains on his clothing. He also, mm. remember, people wore more clothes then. Yeah. When that's the way he would even describe it too. He would remove his jacket, he, and then he would cover himself up. He would yeah. do a thing that's a little bit blood. I can also see the way he did it, because the way it seemed to be is that he would knock him unconscious, get him on the ground, stab him while they're on the ground. Yeah. So he's up above and then carefully doing it. As yeah. much as he can, because again, wants total control. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and you know that's the thing. Peter almost always committed his crimes outside. The moon wounds match up with what Peter said he did, and the timelines match up as well. And he knew shit that only the killer would know, uh, so he wasn't taking credit for the crimes of others. And yet, no one ever saw Peter Curtin walking through the streets of Dusseldorf, obviously looking like he'd just killed someone. Hmm. But either way, even after the murder. Curtin was not yet done with Rosa Olinger. After the movie, Curtin filled up a bottle of petroleum and returned to the body of his victim with the intention of setting it on fire. But since it was the evening and too many people were out and about, he went back home. He woke up the next morning at 6 a.m., told his wife that he was going to the bathroom, and just left the house. I mean, he's going to do what he's going to do. Yeah. You know, you're going to tell him not to? Because you've seen what he does when you tell him not to do shit. He flips out. He returned to the crime scene, poured gasoline on the body, and set it aflame. He said he felt no sexual charge from this act in particular, and the only reason why he did it was to cause excitement and general indignation. Yeah, dude, so you can watch mm. it across the street. He went and he got a beer across the street and watching the whole scene unfold. Just yeah. sit and watch all the Crazy. cops come yeah. with a burning body sitting there and then so, it died down. So he wasn't aroused with all the fires and stuff like he was. that? Oh, he, yeah. oh, he, he very was. Oh, yeah. It was just this one in particular. Oh, right. I see. Yeah, there was another one. Yeah, there, yeah, yeah. No, he, he was definitely, the, the fires definitely aroused him, but not in the same way that it, it's really strange because it's not in the same way that uh, it, um, 
makes uh, guys like David Berkowitz, how kind of how arson made him hard right. uh, for Peter Curtin. Like it wasn't about just watching the flames. It was about the chaos that it caused. All the right. cops showing up and yeah. shit. So all he's just watching. And then he gets to be his God. He, he's like, yeah. they don't even know that I'm the one who caused all oh, of this no, but and then all he of that would, kind of stuff. He would then insert himself into the investigation. Yeah, because when uh, the police started interviewing guys in the area, Peter just kind of threw out a little bait so the police would question him. He was just kind of standing there like acting like he had some important information, but he was just too shy to share. You're going to have to maybe give me a little bit of chocolate if <laughs> oh, I my. say something. But he would go and he would talk to the police like our old friend Bumblebutt. Oh, yeah, like old Egg Kemper. Yeah, we've and, talked about this before, and you see that in the, I think we've mentioned the first 48 whenever yeah. someone's be like, I gotta sell it. I'm innocent. They're like, who are you? Why are you here? I didn't do it. I didn't so. do it, that's for sure. Yeah, Peter Curtin, he extracted as much information as he could from this police officer, getting so, because it's all about getting someone to tell your own story back to you. So Peter Curtin's just listening to the cop, being like, what do they know? Yeah. How da- how close are they? Yeah. Do they and think this, it's me? And it's like, well, not do they think it's me, Just and, but it's not even necessarily about seeing how the investigation is going. It's seeing how much information you can get about the crime from the cop. Also, hearing the details yeah. of what you find out what they know about the body would get him visibly erect like we keep saying like the hard thing like it's me being funny saying hard it's it is he said that he wouldn't understand how he could speak to a police officer and he was like i'm sitting here with a full erection speaking with the officer Hmm. and no one says anything because everybody's too i guess polite or a different (laughs) social standard yeah but i don't know how many how many times are you talking to a dude and you like happen to look down at his crotch i don't look down at people's crotches if you had a boner right now i wouldn't be able to tell i I certainly don't I don't know. I mean, certainly don't. I don't know. Interesting. Whoa. Yeah, and Peter said the entire time he was talking to the police officer, he's just sitting there fantasizing that he was fantasizing about killing him. Oh, yeah, that was fun because he was a rookie. Yeah. That was a problem. He talked to this, like, fucking goobery dude. He's like, well, there's a lot of, there's a lot of contingencies in a police case. But as it was just like, I knew how easy it would be to kill this police officer right in front of me in the rush of that. It engorged me yeah. watching his little Andy Rooney lips slipping back and forth in his hat, wobbling <laughs> on his tiny little wow. head off. Andy Rooney lips. Andy Rooney was classic. What was the name of his segment? Let me tell you something. You're being mean to me. What was the name of that one? This is terrible. That's terrible. No, Andy, Andy Rooney, the 60 Minute? Yeah. Is that him? Who was the one that was in the cop show? Uh, are you thinking of Mickey? Mickey? Rooney? No. no, Mickey Rooney was in the Little Rascals. Well, the Andy one with Don, Rooney, the, yeah. the one with Don Knotts. Uh, I don't. Andy and, Griffith. Yeah. Andy Griffith. Why is there still a thing around cigarette packs? <laughs> what is it? Going for a swim? <laughs> yeah, like he was angry about everything. Yeah, Andy Rooney just sounded like a really serious Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Peter Curtin, for his next murder, he changed his victim profile yet again. Three days after the Olinger murder, Peter traveled to the Dusseldorf suburb of Flinger Nord. Just making up names. <laughs> we'll call it a Flinger Nord. With any luck, it'll stick. There, he followed a popular local mechanic named Rudolf Scheer out of a beer house after Rudolf had tied one on. He was on his bike. Yeah. Oh. Curtin approached Scheer on the side of the road and stabbed him 20 times, including the temple, which would turn into a calling card of sorts for Curtin until he switched his methods once again. Okay. And just like with Olinger, Curtin stuck around until Shear's body was discovered the next morning. Then, in order to build a tolerance back up, 
Peter Curtin took a summer vacation from murder. And that's where we'll pick back up for the conclusion of Peter Curtin. Oh, my God. I'll All tell right. you what. You can take a vacation from murder, but murder can't take a vacation from you. That's right. Look at that. Remember that, everyone. Be safe on your vacations, but that's not until next summer, so forget about it for now. What? <laughs> How did this become about vacations? <laughs> I, I will say, I will I say this. Is that um, if you're thinking about murdering, you know what I think you should do? No. I mean, don't do it. That, number one. Get a pumpkin. <laughs> Get a pumpkin, carve it you up. You can stab the fuck out of a pumpkin. We yep. had a great time uh, but carving our pumpkin this week. Yeah, I go bet. ahead and get yourself. I mean, even though this episode's coming out like after Halloween is uh, over and done with. Oh. But you know what? Just go out. I bet there's a bunch of pumpkins out on sure. surplus. You can buy some like old pumpkins, and Absolutely. then you still got a pumpkin for a couple of days. Stab you buy it, stab it, stab it, stab it, stab it, stab it. Do something creative with it. Ah, uh, yeah. And again, it was the true crime boom in Germany. This was horrible. What happened there? If you want to make it on our show. Find an alien. That's the only <laughs> That's way. The or one. a ghost. Yes, Aliens please. or ghosts. That is the only way you're going to do it. Yeah, only we way. Won't, we will not. If we find out you're a listener and you're a serial killer, we're not going to cover you. No. no. I'm going to tell you this right now. We won't. We absolutely will not. We'll not. think about it. Out of principle. I want alien footage. Alien footage would be wonderful. But thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with Peter Carpen Part 2. But we're going to be on tour next week. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, we're going to be coming to uh, Dallas, Austin uh, and Oklahoma City next yes. week. Uh, we still got tickets available, so be sure to come on out for that. Go to lastpodcastontheleft.com to buy your tickets. That is November 7th in Dallas, November 8th in Austin, and November 9th in Oklahoma City. Yes. And we got tickets available for OK City and Dallas. Yes. Go get those tickets. They are going to sell out. We're going to have a good ass time. Ooh, yeah. It's... Don't wait till the la- I know a lot of you guys are waiting to the last minute. Uh-oh. Don't wait till the last Don't minute. Don't wait till the last minute. Don't you fucking do it. Don't do it. Yeah. Can't wait to see everyone in Texas again and Oklahoma City. I've never been. And I am really excited. It's, Baby. It's nice. I've heard it's nice. We are going to get some fucking steaks. Yeah. In OK City, baby. Oh, oh, yeah. I already know that we are already planning on it. I'm nice. already finding us a place. Very nice. Really? Don't fucking worry your little cholesterol-leveled head, boys. I don't care. We're going to get so much animal fat injected into our holes, we're not going to even be able to do that show. <laughs> All right. It's canceled. <laughs> and, of course, we're also coming to Indianapolis on uh, the 30th, on November 30th. That's going to be our uh, warm-up show for our big Chicago double shot we're going to be filming a special uh so we're going to be getting the let out also we're going to be going out to indianapolis on august on november 30th we're going to be warming up for our double shot in chicago (laughs) so we'll see everybody out there in the windy city coming up next we got detroit rock city from here oh man i thought man kyle was going to be on (laughs) k-y-j rock 108 abilene's only rock i like thank you for embracing what people like to insult us by saying that we're shock jocks but guess what man we like it. Yeah. I don't know. We like it. Yeah, we kind of grew up listening to that shit. That's so. what we do. And guess what? It just means, as far as I'm concerned, you're just mad that we have energy. <laughs> there it is. Yes, there uh, are plenty of places if you like. Peter Curtin, the vampire of Dusseldorf. Now, isn't that an unfortunate series of events? Honestly, <laughs> it was so funny. I was just thinking about this story. About seven or eight years ago, I met with the dude at NPR. Really nice guy. But then and like, I was touring so the- Do you want a bottle of- Water. Or <laughs> I was just touring the studios, and it was—I think it was Lear 
a gym leader or someone, someone was doing a show, and he looked so sad. They were like the sad guy in Howard Stern uh, when he's Are you like, talking about Tom Lair? Yeah, he's great. I love but Tom Lair. I love him too. But it yeah. was just, I was like, I, we don't do that kind of radio. <laughs> um, and then I remember I was like, yeah, man, I really love radio. I think we're doing a lot of good work. And I sent him a roundtable of gentlemen. <gasps> Think that that's really for NPR. You sent Tom Lehrer around Not, table? No, oh. the, the main guy. Oh, the main guy. He was in charge of program. I was like, I think he's going to love it. Oh, he's got to love it. He <laughs> didn't email me back. I, I remember you telling me about that. You were like, dude, I just got this great, I just made this great contact at NPR. Going to send him around. Which episode of Roundtable do you think I should send him? I was like, dude, I don't know. I don't know any one of them. The just... one where they drink all the four locos or like the other ones? Um, well, thank you guys so much. Um, please give it to our Patreon if you so choose. Yes, you so choose. Thank you. And thank you to everybody uh, who already gives to our Patreon. Yeah, yep. if you feel like we uh, deserve a, a little bit of a compensation for the show, you can go to patreon.com slash lastpodcast.love. And you also get a bunch of cool bonus stuff, uh, including interviews, T-shirts, stickers, uh, depending on how much you uh, donate. So thanks to everyone who already donates. Uh, and thank you in advance yes. to anyone who plans on and it. And support all the shows here on LPN. All right, everyone. Hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Follow LP on the left for all the bullshit. Uh-oh. If you want to do that. Okay. Yeah, sure. And how can Help me! Magustalations. Hey, Halloween has passed, but these spirits still live. Imagine you just got home from work, dinner is ready, wine is chilled, and your man has offered you 15 minutes of heaven in the form of a foot massage. And then he says, Your spray tanning session is now complete. What just happened? You found your escape at Palm Beach Tan. Break from the chaos at a Palm Beach Tan near you and leave rejuvenated. Take time for yourself at Palm Beach Tan and take that feeling with you wherever you go. Get up to $25 off your first month featuring Australian gold. Perfect man, not included. Legend has it, underneath the NJM insurance offices lies a room of rejected mascot memorabilia. Is it real? No one knows. But we do know NJM is proud to put policyholders first. No jingles or mascots, just great insurance. NJM.